This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com with Pete Sampson and Tim O'Malley. I'm Tim Priester. It's Monday, August 14th. We had an opportunity to see our third open practice of the preseason, uh, practice number 11 on Saturday. We didn't get a chance to see the full practice as we did the first two times. But about 50 minutes, uh, Pete and I had a chance also to go through the tour of Notre Dame Stadium on Friday, which was quite enlightening. And Notre Dame, of course, also got a verbal commitment from wide receiver Kevin Austin. A lot to talk about, guys. Let's start with what we saw again on Saturday and for the second practice in a row that we had a chance to witness. We saw the defense do some really, really good things. Yeah, I wonder if um, if the defense is ahead in its installation sometimes over the offense. If the offense is still installing and the defense is a little more rounded into uh, what they're going to be doing, they might, I mean, that could explain why you're better at some things in practice. If the offense is installing and not, Constantly installing and, and not there yet. Yeah, I, I think there's some truth to that. I also think that Mike Elko is a veteran yeah. defensive coordinator, has been through this before, and I wouldn't say their defense is simple, but it's a lot more understandable. The communication is better. That's and why so maybe they might be ahead. Not yeah. simple. I'd want to use simple, but, but yeah. It's... But I also think that if Brian Kelly is saying that, that, that means the battle in the trenches is at least even now, whereas in the spring it wasn't. Yeah, I. I don't want to read too much into anything we saw Saturday because it was brief and they didn't tackle. So that's you know. You we, said we in it. You said in the instant analysis that the defense won. They did, but it, that's like winning something that doesn't really matter. Yeah, but maybe. it's still it's still it's still it's still yeah. seven on seven uh, red zone work, and I thought the DBs played pretty well. I, yeah, I I agree with all that. I'm just saying that I don't think it's going to be predictive of really anything during the season. Um, I think it's a good... What I came away from Saturday thinking was the defense knows where to be down after down after down. That's great. I don't know if they can tackle, and I don't think Brian Kelly knows if they can tackle either, the way he answered my question about Mike Elko's defense and you know, are they sort of getting it quicker than maybe you had hoped or expected? Because they definitely seem like they're in the right position. You don't see guys running wide open all over the place. But I think the physical aspect of it, the tackling, um, we just don't know. Yeah. And that's really important. Well, which is why I was surprised uh, earlier in the week when he said that the defense was ahead of the offense. I just, I didn't expect, I didn't know that I, I <laughs> it's been so long since that's yeah. been the case. That, that I was taken aback by that. So whatever, you take everything with a grain of salt, and I think in two straight practices we've seen progress with the defense in one form or another. Yeah, I think that what we saw Saturday at Culver, there was tackling, and it was, yeah. go- it was, yeah. it was good-ish. Um, like, it, was it was good, good at scrimmage. Front seven. It was good at scrimmage. It was yeah. not, the, the, not last 18, the last live 18 snaps that we saw in Culver were very good. Yeah, and hopefully, I think we'll see, like, legit full-on tackling on Sunday at uh, the open practice to the public uh, in the stadium. Um, 
yeah, I, I don't know if there was any big revelations for me. I, you know, I just thought that on an individual level, Dante Vaughn continues to look yeah. good to me. Um, Nick Watkins, I think, also. Yeah, it seems like the cornerback position is kind of what we expected it to be when camp started. I think the offensive line is maybe a little bit better than at least what I thought it would be. Um, I thought Mustafer and Bars would be better. I think they have a chance to be just really yeah. good. We don't want to overplay it like we did, you know, last August. But you also have but a we were just wrong. Yeah, we were. Yeah, but they weren't good. The offensive right, line. and they yeah. weren't good on the defensive line, yeah. and they're better there, and they're stronger there. But well, we were concerned about the defensive line last August. We yeah. were not concerned about the offensive line, and they're equally bad. But I, uh, I, I, Vaughn has been impressive the whole time. Alex Bars has been one of the most impressive players in camp, and I, it's not for this year that it matters that much. But Michael Young is a fantastic football player, and he's going to start for Notre Dame in 2018. Someone's losing their job to the sophomore next year. He is a football player. He's not just... He's just quicker than yeah, all the... When, when the ball is snapped, he's the quickest receiver they have. And he's aggressive. I mean, he's just... They wouldn't have this issue if this was his second year. Then You'd know who the yeah. third, second or third guy was. It would be him. He certainly doesn't run around out there like a guy no. that is and a it, freshman. It, it, pro- yeah, it probably won't work out this year that yeah. he can take jobs as a freshman. Because they do have some... Te- you know, they have developing guys there that are older and, and are going to know some things. But he... He impresses me every time I watch him do something. Even just the knack of you're in a drill and how he sets up a slant. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. just run a slant because you're told to run a slant. He like sets it up to get open. And that's, you know, I don't know if you could do that in a football game because you have 1.2 seconds to run that slant. But he just, he, I mean, he's just, I think he's going to be a good player. So down the line, they'll be good. It's a regular Chris Fink. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> I also thought it was Brian Kelly mentioning the 73 or 76 plays that they ran on Saturday and that Sam Muster for conditioning wise. He didn't feel there was much of a difference at play 76 and there was at the start. And that's a really good sign because he wasn't, I think we commented about this or I commented about it during last season. I mean, Mustafer was not in great shape and you could see it. But that was probably the case with a lot of guys. Don't you wish we'd have a point of reference where there'd be a year where he's like, you know what? We're just not in very good shape. We didn't have a very good summer. Uh, our strength and conditioning has really lagged. And I hope we can make up for it <laughs> because everything is always the best strength and conditioning. That, that will never I do be. believe it, but that will never happen. That will, ne- that will never happen. But it's, 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 it's us. Just to, wait till next year. It's, a, <laughs> it's going to be amazing. It's but up it's to us in the media to spot that yeah. and, and, and point that out. Yeah, because it, we talked about this all off season, but Sam Mustafer played hurt last year. Yeah. Like, who's in great shape with a sprained ankle? Nobody. Um, and that, I think, he just really got dinged. Yeah. Uh, he wore down as the season went on. We'll see if he stays healthy this year. He's, they got a chance at a very good season. I mean, they bring, I can't, what's the, uh, I should know this, but like the total starts returning. But I mean, four yeah. starters and then Kramer. It's, um, I mean, it has a chance to, I, I hesitate to say like their best line, but it has a chance to be their best well, line. Well, add 48 starts, all those guys, right? All four of those guys. They, all, they only started 12 games last yeah. year. You got about 12. Yeah. Right. I'm saying, 12, I'm saying times four because you yeah. had four of them. So for, add 48 to what they had going into last year. Yeah, I was saying they were 30. So they're you know pushing 80 yeah. at this point. Um, it's Yeah, I think it's a really good group. I you know Brandon Wimbush, I kind of want to see more. Um, I'm not like alarmed or concerned because I think he'll be fine and have a good year. Um, he's just sort of a... I have a hard time getting a read on like how good he is or isn't in practices. I agree. We need we need to see more live stuff. There's no doubt about that. And he's he's never taken a snap as a as a starter. Um, 
and that's going to show at times. It just is. I mean, reading coverage, it's going. He's going to force something, or he's going to get impatient and take off before he allows it to unfold. That just that that comes with. We all know he's going to be a good quarterback, but he's going to be way better next year and the year you know, after. That just comes with a position. You're probably that's probably true. But if you think about it, when did Deshaun Kaiser, other than Georgia Tech, that was his first start? You know, he, when did he ever show? That problem, being a first-year starter where he got worse. I mean, Ohio State's because they were better players. Had, you so mean they, when they, he had yeah. Will Fuller on the field with Yeah, no, of course. I mean, yeah, that, that really helped a lot. But I'm saying in his first year, yeah, maybe that's the difference. He had Will Fuller on well, the field. Well, it's part, it's part but, of yeah, it. It's it, never one thing. It's never it's one part thing. Of it. But, yeah, he was a guy that kind of took it by storm in his first year. And it's a similar situation. He's not a true freck. He's not a rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, Wimbush, actually, we're going to talk about him later in this, but Wimbush is pretty self-aware of his situation because I haven't played since I fumbled for a touchdown. It's Pittsburgh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Last yeah. last snap? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> last snap where anything happened. Yeah. Yeah, he was handing off other than that. So, no, it, but it's be interesting to see if how much it affects him. There'll be games. You're, there's no way of avoiding there'll be games or even more importantly, second halves probably mm-hmm. where you see it. But I don't think it has to be a problem all year. No, it's just... It'd be a problem in Georgia thing. in the third quarter. But yeah. That's the issue. Yeah, the, just the, the red zone drill that we watched on Saturday... Um, I think he had seven snaps, two completions, but one was like a check down to Josh Adams where he couldn't find anything. The other one was a touchdown to Cole Komet over Drew Tranquil. And the other ones just were not close. Right. Um, we're probably it, looking at... thrown away. It, I, I feel like you, you... It's like you can hear his thoughts yeah, yeah. from the sideline about like... Well, Book was involved in a one. couple of isn't, those, too. Isn't that a red zone? No, I'm just... I, but I don't... I'm not... I don't... I mean, really like, care what like overflows. Did. I thought those yeah. were. I mean, my offensive report. I thought those were coverage issues. There wasn't anything Wimbush could really do about several of those. Doesn't it kind of come down to uh, those are third and eight red zone drills? Though he can't run, he can't hand off. There's no. He has. Which to is throw. why we need to see him live. Yeah, he yeah. has to throw to five guys covered by. Six. Well, yeah, like pro- six. Probably had yeah. half of them. He just would have run for a touchdown, <laughs> right? So that, 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 but yeah, on third and eight, I mean, that is, you do you get plenty of third and eight, and that, third and goal from the eight. Though. And you that, get plenty of that. Like that's my whole point with Wimbush and not really knowing what I'm seeing, because right. I I think that he his practice approach right now, which is my really uneducated opinion, is like, okay, I can't run, I can't get hit, I'm just gonna stay back here and I'm gonna go through all four reads, and if that takes 15 seconds. So be it, because mm-hmm. um, it's just this is a contained environment. It's not like I don't want to say it's like it's not real football, but so many things are being taken off the table. It's I think it'll just be completely different when it's when it's live, live. And that's the issue with today's game. He's not going to get hit yeah. un, un, until Temple. Now it, I, I I mean I'd have to go back. I mean Holtz would allow his quarterbacks to be hit at a certain point to some extent. I don't remember exactly when that all changed, but nobody lets their quarterback get hit. And he's going to have to, he's got to flip a switch come September 2nd. There's two, we talked about this with uh, how he wouldn't get hit. And we thought, well, remember when Holtz let his starting quarterback, Ron Pellis, get hit? And then it ended his season in August. But <laughs> last year they had to get hit because they were competing. Maybe Wimbush, as an aside, thinks it's illegal to get sacked in Notre Dame Stadium from watching games. Mm. And that's why he's standing back there for so long. But, no, you can't really <laughs> hit him as he's the only guy. Last year, he, they had to hit Malik and Kaiser. It, 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 they're trying to figure out who's going to start. This You're totally protecting Brandon Wimbush right now. But it's a concern. There's a question about it. 
It is a concern. I think we're already talking about that question, so we might as well just finish it out. Yeah, he got hit and he fumbled. And you know what that comes from? Not getting hit very often, because he probably wasn't hit a whole yeah. heck of a lot during practice as the number two in 2015 either. It's just, he's going to probably take some some serious shots early on that he hasn't experienced in a long time, or ever. Yes. Because he wasn't much of a scout team guy. But it's like, you know? that's what happens to every quarterback right. everywhere. I guess he's a junior Stoy, is what it's yeah. a bit odd. Because he never really was the scout team guy either. For uh, a month, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. It's just like, it's a weird question, yeah. concern, because this happens everywhere to everyone. And like, it's not like you have quarterbacks like, whoa! Yeah. <laughs> it's just like throwing the ball up in the air. Like, I, I don't know what to do! You know, but... Uh, I mean, but imagine being in... You know, being in their place where Wimbush hasn't taken a hit since the Pittsburgh game two years ago. I think as long as he just gets through the first hit, he'll be fine. Yeah. Um, well, he said that, that when we interviewed him at Culver that I want to take, he would yeah. like to take a hit in practice, he says, knowing full yeah. well that he won't. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But he said, I would, you know, I would like to take a hit. And look, he said, when I, when I take my, knock on wood here, he said, when I take my first hit at Temple, I'm going to bounce right up and. You know, relish that the contact. I hope to hell he yeah. can bounce up. <laughs> yeah, maybe like we we can stick a media member out there and we can just like tackle him or something. Just, just see how it goes. I mean, it's not like it's not like we're asking Nico Fertitta to do it. Oh boy. Well, we can. I like the. I'd like to take some hits of practice. I like to cover kicks. They just won't let me. Right. There's no way. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, we got in when we get to our question segment. We have a whole, whole bunch of uh, more football stuff too. Um, talk about as it relates to this team, but Kevin Austin did verbally commit to Notre Dame. Uh, most people thought he would for a long, long time, including our Kevin Sinclair. Kevin was given a couple conflicting uh, messages there uh, regarding uh, he, that Austin would make a shocking statement. And he later explained to Sinclair that he a lot of people were asking him about Duke, and people thought that he was trending toward Duke. So that was the... The genesis of his uh, uh, shocking statement comment. Yeah, surprised some people who, I guess, you know, were around Duke or something. I don't know. But anyone <laughs> around Notre Dame, like, no one was surprised up here. Yeah. Um, yeah, Duke would have been uh, shocking in some terrible ways for Notre Dame. Uh, but, yeah, it's a, it's a huge pickup for a bunch of different reasons. One, he's a guy that they have liked for a long, long time. Um, fills a need in terms of receiver who just is like more of an all-around type of athlete. And then the board really drops off big time after him. Not that they're not in on some other guys, but the guys that are on or his peers athletically are real long shots. And the guys that they're in on that they think they can get are like sort of next level. Yeah, Lawrence Keys is a little bit of a smaller receiver. I, I do like what he does. I'm not as high on Bryson Jackson. I don't think that he has you know quite that burst. What I like about, I mean, I, there's a lot to like about Kevin Austin. He's he's got he has great size. He uses his hands to catch everything. Uh, he's really elusive in traffic. I think you know when I first looked at him and he was ranked 272nd in the country. I'm like. You gotta be kidding me! This guy's way better than that. He's he's climbed up a hundred spots, and I think I get it because I think sometimes he's a little bit. He's once he gets moving, he's really elusive. I think you know from zero to ten miles an hour, so to speak. He takes a it's a little bit of an adjustment for him, uh, which is which is why he's rated where he is. And I think when you, I, I saw some film of him in camp settings with other really good receivers around. 
and I, I think you saw a little bit of that lack of burst right out of his, you know, first step. But he's a really good player and another guy with with great size. And you're right, Pete. I mean, they there's a drop off after that. They really needed him at the opening. He just got open all the time. Uh, he was really good out there, and you would just hear touchdown, Kevin Austin. Um, yeah, he was just outstanding there. He looks like a, a did that nut- get a lot of play in- during that time? I don't know that I I, I heard a whole bunch of that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess it, there were there were a lot of good players. There, there were a lot but, of good. Yeah, um, yeah. That's he's going to be a number one receiver here if he yeah. just stays. You know, on the developmental path that he's on it. You know, I've done some digging into sort of his backstory, uh, working out. He's very conscious of training and flexibility, not just strength, but flexibility. Um, You know, hip mobility is a big thing he focuses on so he doesn't get stiff. Um, I think it's just the fact that he already likes to train and work out and just likes the off-season is a real positive because... That's not something that every uh, high school kid is, is into. They're just like, all right, let's, is it Friday night or not? Um, he likes June Tuesdays as well. So that's, I think that's a big thing. Um, stadium, Tim and I walked through there. Tim O'Malley, you were there on Saturday with the, so you got to see the board. What what did you think of the, of the board being on and just sort of the potential for what the, how that's going to impact Saturdays? I don't, I mean... I think it's overplayed how it'll impact the team. Like, Brian Kelly to talk about how it's a distraction to it. Better not be a distraction to him. They played in front of boards five times a year, right? <laughs> but What's yeah. the fight? What's their road record? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess this is a killer. They're gonna... no, but uh, it looks great. I think for fans, they're going to love it. Uh, I actually like, I talked to uh, media relations, Michael Birch, about this. The ribbon, I like it's kind of old school. Um, Did you bring that up font? to him? Yeah, Well, you know, we were both talking okay. about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like an old school look, kind of like a, uh, your old TV yeah. screen. That's the. It, it's kind of cool how they did that. I, I'm surprised. It's easy to read too for someone that uh, struggles. I need glasses at road games Not, nowadays. So. I mean, everybody's going to love the new scoreboard except those that are sitting in that end zone. Yeah, that's a tough situation because it most. This is we talked about this separately. Most stadiums have a, another smaller scoreboard for people in the big scoreboard end zone to see, and obviously they don't because there's the. It's you'd be looking, you'd be blocking the touchdown Jesus right. situation, but there's nothing else to look at. Uh, so turning around. What's wrong with Jesus? Yeah, turning around to see the uh, <laughs> turning around to look and see the play is going to have to. What's well, they're going 10, to have to use 10, the, 10, the, people, right? the, <laughs> the ribbon scoreboard in order to. But not to see the play. I mean, that's the whole no, point they, is, you'll yeah. have to turn around yeah. to see the play, and I would imagine um, the sound is going to be overpowering. I actually know someone <laughs> yeah. that lives three miles from the stadium, and they were testing it a couple weeks ago, and he could hear it from his house very clearly. So. Um, it'll, it'll be, <laughs> it will be plenty loud. It was loud Saturday. I didn't, I just thought it was an empty yeah. stadium and all that, you know, but it was, you know, I can, I mean, yeah. I can see it not from my house. I live probably like five miles away, but it's, the, those structures are just massive. Yeah. Um, you know, we, you can see it from the top of the hill kind of is what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, my, yeah. Miami Avenue. You know, I will say this and I, you know, I don't, I'm not going to say it's going to help Notre Dame win more, but and yeah, Nordame has played with those scoreboards all the time, but they were the visiting team. You know, they were the enemy. And and I think, you know, when a crowd's enthusiasm wanes, the scoreboard oh, prevents yeah. that I think from it helps happening. The fans quite a bit. And I think it, you know, for a visiting team, 
just because of the sound of it, you're never going to feel like you're out of the woods, like we've got this, just because the atmosphere will be that much greater. But, you know, however it impacts Notre Dame or the opposing team, the atmosphere in Notre Dame Stadium is about to change forever, and it's something that we've never seen here. Yeah, I had a feature that ran on Friday uh, where I sat down with Mike Bonner, who's basically in charge of programming it. Um, He's a pretty interesting guy. Uh, Yeah, I think his thought is a home field advantage is something that that can help with. Not taking a bad game and making it good. Um, I don't think that... You're not going to artificially create a home field advantage. But we talked a lot about, okay, let's let's take the Texas game and, and put it in Notre Dame Stadium last year, when Torrey Hunter gets targeted, I think that gets replayed, and that good point. And the Texas player probably gets thrown out, and then Notre Dame scores a touchdown, and maybe they win the game. <laughs> that's a real thing um, yeah. that a board can help you with, and I, that's I think one of the things that that will enhance a home field advantage for Notre Dame. I just if I if I was a fan at these games, I would I would have been. <laughs> It's just like it's going to enhance your experience. Like you're going to know what's happening. Like I think in a lot of places, replays are important. In football, replays are important saying, yeah. just to know what is occurring. Sure. Um, now you can do that at Notre Dame Stadium. We all watch games at home on TV. You know everything that's happening all the time. So why would you make it worse if you were at the game? If you were paying three hundred dollars to go and. It, it just never made any sense to me. So I think just the user experience for the fan, forget the home field advantage, like whether Notre Dame's going to win more games or not, like you're going to just have a better game day experience if you're a fan now. Well, just even the game day experience, uh, I think I go back to the Michigan game a few years ago in Michigan when they're honoring Desmond Howard and they're showing all his highlights and it gets louder and louder and louder and louder. And everybody's going crazy. And they literally two weeks later honored Tim Brown at Notre Dame and they talked about it. They talked about his highlights. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Once we turned two punts against Michigan State, they were cool. I mean, what, what if you, you got? It helps a lot that you guys can, that yeah. you can see these things. But I thought an interesting thing in that story, Pete, was also not stemming momentum with what I know a lot of people get annoyed is when they're when you're honoring a non-football entity, which you have to do, but not after Equinemius St. Brown scores a touchdown to go ahead on USC. They're not going to bring out. The science, science professor. professor. Yeah, I thought that was a yeah some flexibility in the common in the, sense flexibility too. Yes. Is what it is. Yeah. As far as the rest of you know the the structure on each side, I mean it's Notre Dame doesn't usually do excess. You oh, know, I'm I glad mean there's compared no to, run, I'm just saying if you sit in that end zone, you're not going. No, that. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not arguing that. I'm talking about the structures on the east and west side. I mean Notre Dame doesn't usually do excess, so to speak. They've done excess in this instance with. Classrooms and restaurants and ballrooms and yeah, a half a a half a billion dollars will buy you a lot of excess. I'm not I'm not using the word excess as a criticism. I'm saying that this was an opportunity. They took advantage of it. It's it is going to. I'll relent a little bit about the whole intermingling of athletics and academics, and I I don't think that's the original intent of it all. It's the best use of space. Uh, but it's pretty spectacular, and we we saw a lot of. There's still a ton of construction going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were walking by, you know, guys and women in hard hats the whole time. So there's still plenty to do, but um, it's <laughs> it's pretty spectacular, uh, even without the video board. The road to excess leads to the Palace of Wisdom, Tim. 
that was on Club 23's bathroom bring wall on, when I was in college. Bring on so the wisdom. A, yes. <laughs> bring on the wisdom. I always thought it was a cool yeah. quote. They no. need it. There's no real follow-up to that. So that's it for segment one. We'll be back with questions next. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider. We've got a bunch of questions on our readers. First, we're going to take one from Twitter, and this was asked by about six different people. Um, so I'll just reduce it to this. Who will be Notre Dame's second leading wide receiver by the end of the season? Is it cheating to say Mac for this question? Yes. Okay, then I'm cheating. Uh, it won't be Mac. Okay, well, I would say Mac is this, although I have concern with this hamstring that early, that doesn't usually bode well for people. Um it's a it's a great, great question. question. It really it's is. Not, if it's not Mac, uh, so total, we're just going by receptions or whatever. Just, the biggest just, impact, just type receptions. Thing. Fink, you're saying Fink? I think it's Mac, and then I think it's a conglomerate of running backs, and then I think it's Fink. It could be Cameron Smith. Well, I don't buy it. Why not? I'll totally what? buy it. Getting open because you got to get open. It's, it's well. I mean, what have you seen that would indicate that he? Can't get open. I mean, I, I think seen him getting open all the time. That's, yeah, you know, it, it was funny because Brian Kelly said, "You know, he isn't what I thought he was. He, you know, he, <laughs> we thought he could take the top off of defense. Well, that's because he did when he was playing for Arizona <laughs> State against Notre Dame, and Devin Butler was covering him. Uh, right. <laughs> it, it, it's not quite that easy. It's it, it really is a gr- great question. I wouldn't rule out Cam Smith because I think he looks. I'm not ruling him out. Quick and fit and, and you know uh, physically strong. I think he could be that. I. It could, it, it could it be Freddie Canteen? I don't know that we've seen anything that would indicate that at this point. I, I just I, I wouldn't completely rule out Chris Fink no. because every practice we've ever seen and virtually every game that he's played a prominent role in, he's open. Yeah, I I mean I would have said if not you know if in the perfect world I would have definitely said uh, Stepherson prior to all this right. happening. Of course, yeah. so that's why it's that's why and once you remove Mac and Mac and Mac isn't like default. He's He's, if if he's healthy, he's going to catch plenty of passes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, who who's yours, Pete? I think it's going to be Fink. I, I want to say Claypool. I do too, my, but in I, my I, heart, it's Claypool. I, it always will be. Yeah. <laughs> I feel if, like if he, if EQ is is back next year, you know, say this is 2018, we're sitting here. And they only then I would Smith. say yeah. I, I would I would be more inclined to say Claypool. I would too, for sure. I would say Claypool. Um, what happened to Michael Young? Michael Young, segment one. Michael Young, will be, Michael Young will be third <laughs> okay. because uh, Mac will be gone as well. No, but uh, I yeah, I think Claypool is a guy that might have some one catch games and maybe a no catch game, but have some good games too. So I think that hurts your total. Yeah. He could have more yards than Chris Fink on twenty three catches for. Sure. He could average twenty yards a catch. Yeah, and Claypool it, it, he's I, not a number one receiver. People are wondering why we haven't said Miles Boykin. He's behind EQ on the depth chart. So right. it's that's going to be. I was just trying to figure yeah. out. Now they can move in. EQ to the X and and get him on the field. But he's a you know he's a bigger, less agile you know wideout. So it's a little bit more difficult and for I him. I think to it's going to be spread out in a bad way. The receptions, it's it's inconsistency. I think it's good. I don't think like I think Claypool will catch passes. I think Boykin will catch some passes. Fink Smith. Uh, Smice will have some. So you're backs. saying so uh, you're saying that they need more good there's receivers. going to be a lead receiver <laughs> and then b- a, a bunch of guys in a bad way. Of course, in a bad way because you should always yeah. yes, it's always in a bad way. You know, contrary to some theories out there, you in in 2015, 
you know, Will Fuller, Chris Brown, Amir Carlisle. Well, we took Amir Carlisle for granted a little bit, but he was third on the team in receptions. It's always better to have three go-to guys than a mass of people that you, you that you don't know that you can count on from week to week. Right, which is why if EQ catches 70, Matt catches 57, and Claypool emerges and catches 50, there's your go-to guys. Exactly. And you're better off than having Claypool catch 20, Fink catch 25, and Cam Smith catch 20. I feel like there's very, very little chance that the second leading receiver has 40 catches. What about Mac? Uh, I think Mac will be in the 40s. Okay. That's but, right. yeah. I mean, even... It would not shock me if Chris Fink was the second leading receiver with 27 catches. That would not surprise me at all. Wow. But that's I, not a good thing. It's a, Not really. Yeah. It's not a good thing. I do think Cameron Smith, just from the little we've seen of him... His explosiveness, how quickly he gets off the snap of the ball. A guy that is not necessarily a take-the-top-off guy, but more of an underneath guy, which makes him more of a yes, I, a I, candidate to, to catch passes. The only guys that take the top off the defense well are the ones that are remarkable at it. Otherwise, you're just a fast guy that catches 15 right. passes. You know, right. Will Fuller was remarkable at taking the top off of it, so it opened things up. Most guys, when they're he's our speed guy, they don't make that big of a college football impact throughout or consistently each week to week. Ty Montgomery, for example. Yeah, it's just, you know, they're yeah. incredible talents. But it's better that he's Although he's found his niche in the NFL, hasn't he? <laughs> Vic Irish won. I'm curious how the following players are in practice as the season approaches. Chase Claypool, great physical traits, but has lacked the hands. Jonathan Bonner, can he get to the passer? Jerry Tillery, are you getting the feeling he can make a true difference? And Kevin Stefferson, will he buy into the traits? Of Claypool, Bonner, Tillery, and Stefferson, I'm most confident in Tillery and his production on a weekly basis. That by a wide margin, I, yeah, I yes. would say. Yeah, and then Claypool. Well, I, I'm saying that because yeah. I, I haven't I haven't always expressed a lot of confidence in him, and I and still three tackles for loss last year. I know he's a lot he's a lot stronger. He's always had the length and the physical characteristics. I would like to think that he's going to take a significant step up this year. I have a, I have more confidence now that Jerry Tillery is going to take a step up than at any time since he came to Notre Dame. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And then I think of the three remaining, um, just as Tillery is obviously the choice of the four, Claypool is easily, easily the choice of the three that could have an impact on Notre Dame, a positive impact on Notre Dame this fall. Because he could be a playmaker. You can catch, he can catch 20 passes and help Notre Dame win some games mm-hmm. because of the plays he makes. Yeah, he will have a high yards yeah. per no, catch He's not average. getting a bunch of yes. five-yard hitches right. on right. second down to make yeah. it third and four. And Stefferson, I know, I mean, everybody keeps asking. We want to know, too. The fact is, on Saturday, he was wearing one of those orange bonnets as the uh, show team cornerback. He can probably come up to speed pretty quickly, um, but they got to give him. he's got to see the light of day first, right? In theory, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't get on the field without being on not the field. not with the new approach, not yeah. with this approach, not with the stated new approach too. We're not reading into Brian Kelly; he has said it out loud. You no, know. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was one thing last week that struck me. I talked to Andrew Trombetti just sort of about like the mindset of the team and what's going on, and he said it was like we know who's not getting reps, like we know who doesn't want to be here, and guys who don't want to be here usually quit. Um, so that was like doesn't want to be here is worse than not getting reps. Yeah, yeah, you know uh, that was 
Well, they go hand in hand. <laughs> yeah. That is what Trombetti's saying. Yeah, his quote is, I just feel like this year you have to buy in. If you're not bought into the program, then you either quit or you don't belong here. People know the people who don't want to be here and the people who haven't bought in. They're not getting reps. The people that are bought in, you know who they are. That's it. <laughs> wow. That's, um, a, that's, so, a, that's a statement. Yeah, so it's. I, I think it's just a situation where, look, Kevin Stefferson is not down with the program right now and the coaches are turning him into an example of that and there are people on our message board is like well do you think he's poisoning the locker room or setting a bad example no i think he's actually setting a great example for brian kelly um it's not a good example for himself but brian kelly benefit either Notre Dame is going to benefit because kevin stefferson's going to get it together and he's going to play and he's going to be good or Notre Dame's going to benefit from all the other younger guys to be like Okay, I see what happened to Kevin Severson. I need to get my stuff together. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And and Bonner, can he get to the passer? I, I I don't see it. I have not seen it with my own eyes. There, are, yeah, I don't. I have no confidence in that one. Yeah, really at all. Uh, you know, I and, and it's it, be look, a, a it, more more importantly, hold the point of attack. That's the most I, important I don't, for him. Yeah, and as far as you know, I mean, here's the three to think about. You know, two years ago, your three technique was Sheldon Day, and and. He could get upfield against virtually anybody. I haven't. I, I just haven't seen it with Jonathan Bonner. So, is he strong enough to hold the point of attack? We don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe warrant a double team every now and then. Although I think Tillery would be that guy on the inside. Um, I haven't seen it. I hope he does. They need it. If you rated the ten or eleven or twelve starters, including Nickel on defense, I mean, he wouldn't be higher than eleven or twelve, right? He would not. Yeah, it'd be twelve. Okay. No, well, you're you're no, no, he's including a nickel. So there's twelve. Oh, yeah, then twelve. Yeah. Yeah. Dashing Domer, do you think a healthy Nick Coleman will alter your feeling about the safety situation? No, I don't think he's health is the problem at all. He's still yeah, yeah. He just said he had a minor. He had a minor ankle. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he's up to speed now physically. So you know, I I have I have more confidence in that. I. Yeah, I, I, I thought he, again, I know it's skeleton, seven-on-seven, seven, red zone, open field, but on Saturday I saw him in coverage. I saw him make a move, remember, in the spring when we were yeah. surprised yeah. That on that one play about how much ground he covered. I, I thought he had good anticipation Saturday. I don't have any. I don't have much more to go on than that. I think he'll play the ball in the air pretty well. I think tackling is going to be a problem. I think he, I, I, talked, I talked to him about tackling, and he said it's really hard to tackle in space. He's going to play it's in important. space the rest of the year. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't. I. You did the interview uh, the other day. He didn't express a lot of confidence in himself, did he? No, and that's okay. Because um, some people have false confidence. I think one of the Notre Dame's ex coaches told us that a lot. There's guys that tell you how confident they are and talk about confidence, and they really don't have it. Um, I think Nick Coleman needs some success. I don't, this is one player I disagree with. Brian Kelly says these guys don't need to develop confidence. I think Nick Coleman, of yeah, all players, needs to develop some confidence. And I, I think he can play the ball well. I mean, look, he's a corner back there. Playing the ball in the air, that sh- that should help. Learning stuff. He's not totally comfortable back there yet, though. That's The only thing worse than no confidence is false confidence. Yes. Holds his line. Yeah. And, it, and there, there's there's a lot of truth to that. Next up, SR5452. Do you guys think not having two-a-day practices will hurt the college football product as a whole? I mean, I wouldn't be educated enough on that one to know it, but I think maybe tackling could suffer more. Um, but that's more of the way that people have to tackle now. It's just tougher to tackle now. 
Would you like? It's would, much more difficult to tackle now because there's restrictions on how you can do it. I mean, there, I can't yeah. think of another way of saying it. And you're all spread out. It's all horizontal. They're using yeah, the whole field. Yeah, it's a wide you, game. You kind of gotta let if you don't want people scoring fifty and sixty every week. And I pointed this out when I said Notre Dame will score whatever thirty-five or thirty-seven points a game. That twenty-five teams did that last year. It's not out of this world that Notre Dame could do it. You gotta kind of allow some hand fighting downfield, I think, with the corners to do something to combat the offense. I know I'm getting on a tangent here, but that's the bad product. Is when you're at fifty points. It's a bad product when everyone can score fifty points. It's a fifty-point game like USC Penn State is supposed to be. Those two teams at their peak because they're super strong, not because every time you turn on a game, someone scores fifty. But I don't do fans don't look at that as a bad product. I look at it as a bad product. <laughs> you're, but you're right. I, I get yeah, that, yeah. and you're coming from a you're coming from a different perspective, right, right. from an entertainment perspective. I don't think fans look at that as a bad. product. I guess I took hurt college football as a whole. I don't know. Oh, okay. Else that could, I got you. you know? I got you. Well, as as far as two days and hurting, I I mean I think the. I think everybody, again, everybody in the same boat, you're making adjustments. Nordane's practices are two and a half to yeah. two hours and 45 minutes, or they have been up to this point. So I think they stretch that a little bit. Um, I don't know. No. I, I, in general, I don't think not having two-a-days will make it any worse. My last thought on this is I think the two-a-days had more of an impact when you worked together all summer. That was the that's testing. A, that's your, a good point. Testing your um, strength and conditioning, testing all that stuff that was inevitably going to lag in the summer because you weren't in a team atmosphere, and they don't have that anymore. They're in a team atmosphere. Yeah, the point of two a days was to work yourself back into shape. But if you're in great shape to begin with, you don't really need two a days. I don't. It's like I don't see how this would hurt anything. Um, it, it's just, it's a it's a toughness test more than I don't think they're right. like putting in great stuff on the second practice. Uh, or they're like really getting after it on second practice. It's just, and again, that's something that you're doing in the off season now when you go out and train and do all these runs and you do these military games right. and all that stuff. Like they're they're doing that long before training camp even yeah. starts. Two days weren't two physical practices in the same day. There there was a time when it was that way, um, but that's not what they were doing here in recent years. So and. and yeah, if your if your program is not in good physical condition, you need those two a days a little bit more. You probably incur more injuries than during two a days if your team's not in in quality condition, which clearly this one is in much better condition. Blue chip man in 2017, does Brian Kelly overachieve, underachieve, or achieve relative to the team's talent level? What's overachieve record? We have to do it with records, otherwise it's really hard. Well, I think, I think anything, once you reach double digits, that would be considered overachievement. Ten and two. Yeah. Okay. I'll say under then. So at eight and four? Yeah. So you think achieved to his talent level might be nine and three? Yes. Yes. you got to consider I, the I, schedule and all the stuff that goes into it. That's yeah. a fair way of breaking it down. Yeah, I don't... I, I feel like nine and three is the team. a par for this... Team in this schedule. Yeah, I'm 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 more confident in overachieve or achieve to the level than I am underachieve, just because of everything that. Are that you more confident I, I don't, in? Oh, yeah, I wrote at eleven instead of ten. Are you? So you're more confident in ten and two than eight and four? No, I wouldn't go. I don't know <laughs> if I'd go that far because I think eight. I think eight and four, nine and three are both pars. To you're some, most to some extent. Achieve. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to underachieve to the catastrophic levels that they did last no, year. Wouldn't. I wouldn't think so, but should that be I, our I, bar? I, that was a zero achievement. It was. It was. 
Yeah, I you know I asked this question on Twitter and uh, a lot of feedback last week. Notre Dame goes eight and four. I read that post. They beat USC. I refrained. I did not mm-hmm. put in that they also beat Navy. Oh, I saw it. Yeah, but yeah. obviously they, you have to beat Navy right. for this. So they beat USC. It? So they beat USC, and the, the four losses would be to Miami, Stanford, Georgia, and some, someone. Some a road collection game. No, of game. those games. I don't think it necessarily matters. Um, Anyone Michigan State? Oh, I said. <laughs> I said beat USC. Close loss Georgia, close loss Stanford. And you assume close losses to other teams. I'm then. implying you yeah. beat Navy. Would you take it? It was kind of a split decision. Yeah, on which that, makes but it a good question. It's maybe yeah. like a actually, I, I, it was split in that it wasn't unanimous, but it was it was definitely trended more towards no. It was a good question because eight and four is the magical purgatory number you used. Yeah, but you beat USC. Somebody uh, actually replied to us uh, with like that's purgatory. Yeah, it is. Um, I think nine and three more people would have jumped on board, yeah. right? Yeah, um, I think yeah. Underachieve is seven and five or less. Par is eight and four, nine oh, and three, and then overachieve man. is ten or eleven wins. Yeah, I disagree. I think eight and four is a miserable off season for the Notre Dame program. It's a four game improvement, but I realize that last no. year was extreme. <laughs> it's a one game improvement. <laughs> no, I it's a. Uh, I think it's a really rough offseason. I don't think the bowl matters. Although 9-4 and four looks so much better than 8-5 and five does, I don't think the bowl matters because you're going to beat Rutgers on the pinstripe. Well, and, it, and, and if the, they beat USC, they're, they're, they will be better than 8-4. and four. I believe that. I don't have anything to back that up. But <laughs> I believe that. If you're good enough to beat USC, then you should be better than 8-4. Although, have you heard the reports on their offense? USC's offense coming out of this past weekend? I mean, they, they couldn't. They could do nothing. They couldn't move the ball at all in a live scrimmage. Their defense is out of their own. <laughs> I thought that was supposed to be refreshing. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's not. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's not a, a Sam Arnold issue per, per se. But I mean, they're 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 relatively inexperienced. Their receiver. This question could last us the rest of the month. Honestly, this is like, this is a great question. Yeah. Slideshow. Because I don't uh, the eight and four thing for me. Remember last year we doing our predictions, and you said Tim Priester said we were all pick nine and three. And you said I could easily see eight and four, and Pete was over there and goes, "Oh, <laughs> the, dread, <laughs> the, dread, the dreaded eight and four. Oh, if they just could have gone eight and four I last year." I feel that way now. Yeah, no, I mean, I I'm not. Too. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. What is losing four close games to Stanford, Georgia, USC, and somebody on the road really do for you at this point? Like that's what it could have been last year, and it would have been okay going into this year. This is that would hurt, don't you think? I guess it, I guess if you have a weird season like fourteen where you're in the running and then a bunch of injuries happen and you fall off and you yeah, lose a couple like, of games, but that's not a normal thing, you know. Plus, that does include like maybe in those teams. I'd be glad when we don't have to speculate. About I got a question for you. If, stuff anymore. If they go eight and four, will they lose to the someone <laughs> along the lines of Navy? Navy or uh, BC would be the type of team you would lose to oh, there BC, on the road, twenty to sixteen, with nothing happening. Just a just flat tire game, terrible tin can. Yeah, if you're eight and four, you lose to BC or Michigan State, <laughs> yeah. or you, yeah, or at North Carolina, even though you know they're rebuilding in a lot of respects. Because Navy's probably better than NC all those State teams. at home. NC State at home, right? Isn't Navy better than those teams technically on a field? Would Navy go beat them? Which teams? North Carolina, BC, and Michigan State. Kind of, maybe. I mean, that's sort of. It's not. It's just a different. I know Notre Dame should never lose to Navy, but it's they're not any worse than those teams we just said. 
All right, let's follow up with <laughs> let's follow up with our let's continue to ponder. Let, let's fo- follow up with this question from Wash ND, which kind of ties into this whole overachievement underachievement. If Nordane wound up with a top twenty-five scoring defense this season, what would you predict their record would be? Which I think is a really good question. Yeah, also, two. me too. Yeah, I, I, think I, I agree win with ten that. games because last year's top twenty-fifth ranked scoring defense was Kansas State. They allowed twenty-two point three points per game. Yeah, and Diaco was always right there in the 20, 21, that, besides the great If year. you hit that number, that means you won every game that you should yeah. win. And then you're into, like, okay, USC, Georgia, Stanford. And Miami, that's it. And Miami, you split them. That's how you... Like, and you can outscore teams once in a while, too. You know, that you can't yeah, you you can go out there and outscore teams, Now, too. how do you get to 11-1? and one? Um Brandon yeah, Brand, uh, Brandon Brandon Wimbush plays to the level that Kaiser did his first year. Offense is how you get to eleven and one. Right, right, yeah. That top twenty-five scoring even with the offense I predicted in the spring. There you go. That's how you get to eleven and one. There you go. Can you uh, beat Navy? That was a pretty big departure. Now, are they going Navy to have, just two minutes ago? Are they well, going to have, that's why I don't see both happening. Realistically, as far as because yeah, yeah. I'm not sure top twenty-five scoring defense is realistic. If what we're hearing about the defense here is is valid and they continue to progress. Top fifty defense. Yes, top I mean, forty. They better have a top fifty defense. They're going to play nine close come games. On, they got to do something. 50? Well, I'm just where they have been yeah. for thirty games, Pete. <laughs> thirty games. Thirty. Yeah, that's true. I, I did say you roll the ball out there and you score thirty on other games. You know, so. and we I, we all have. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's difficult <laughs> not to have a lot of confidence of country, in Elko. Yeah, that's true, though. You're right. That's where they have been. That is where they have been. But it, it, it sounds terrible, though. You're both right. Top 50 sounds terrible, but you're right. What sounds worse, top 50 defense or they went 8-4? and four. Yeah, They doubled their win total. <laughs> yeah, I'm, no, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to say that again. Like, can I take those words yes. back? If I hear that in a press conference, Four game impro- there will be an audible groan. Right. Well, it'll we just can't, from you know, a game notes, from TV. Can't see the game <laughs> notes. It's like the game notes that said Brian Kelly's the first starting coach to win at least eight games in his first six years. Yeah. I'm kind of glad they didn't win eight games so I don't have to see that again in the game notes because it's the worst game note I've ever seen <laughs> for a team. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding? Great. <laughs> yeah. All right, Pete, wrap us up. All right, that's it for this week's Irish <laughs> Illustrated Insider brought to you by irishillustrated.com. We'll be back next Monday. We have, we'll have a ton to talk about at that point. We've got access to all the assistants on Wednesday, and then we've got a full viewing on Sunday in the stadium. Uh, so we'll have all sorts of good stuff to talk about next week. Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Pete Sampson, joined as always by Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley. Thanks for listening. This podcast is sponsored by Duloc Leadership. I'm Len Clark of Duloc Leadership. A DISC personality profile workshop will help you and your organization improve its communication, enhance team performance, and increase customer service. In other words, it will save you money. To learn more about a DISC facilitated workshop, contact me at 219 771 1004.